Hi, I'm James Schilling, Law for Insider Travel Report, and I'm here once again with a familiar face, uh, Bill McGee, who's the Senior Fellow, Airlines and Travel for, I got that right, American Economic Liberties Project, right? Absolutely. You got it right. And we talked with Bill. Too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we talked to Bill uh, most recently about the recent uh, uh, court uh, ruling that actually basically nixed the merger between JetBlue and Spirit. But we're back today because American Economic Liberties Project and, and a partner, uh, he'll explain who that is, uh, have just issued a report that has the ambitious title of How to Fix Flying a new approach to regulating the airline industry. Now, uh, we've all talked about how bad the airlines are for a variety of reasons and everything that's happened in the last, and Bill and I have been watching this space for about 30 years, I think. Uh, so uh, we're gonna talk to Bill about this new report, uh, what he thinks the impact will be, what he wants the impact to be, and we're gonna go over it sort of piece by piece, but also tease you to go and read this report, and you'll see a link uh, here at the bottom that you'll be able to where you'll be able to find more about it. It's a fascinating report, a uh, great report on on this industry, uh, and we'll we'll talk about that and a whole lot more here on Insider Travel Report. Now, Bill, first of all, great to see you uh, so soon, quickly. You had teased me before saying you, you, this report's coming out and we needed to, we should really take a look at it. And we did. It came out last week and um, and here we are. I've had a chance to zip through it. It's a, it's a pretty long uh, report and it's a very weighty topic, obviously. Uh, so what are kind of the major problems that your report identifies with the airline industry um, you know, you're talking about things, you know, everything from smaller seats to what they call junk fees, delays, cancellations, safety, of course, uh, limited competition, of course, and consolidation and, of course, less service. Um, and you are sort of recommending that Congress has to take another look at regulation, which, you know, in 1978, for those who uh, remember, like us, we're old, uh, is, uh, you know, the airlines were deregulated. Uh, and they went off thinking that this would result in higher, uh, better service and lower fares. Of course, that did not happen. So uh, we're going to talk about why regulation is the answer and what is the prospect. All the things that uh, your, uh, your report recommends will uh, be instituted, given that there's such a strong airline lobby. Um, so let's, let's first of all talk about the areas that you're looking at uh, in this report, okay? And I'll, uh, I'll let you go through them. There, there are four areas that you're kind of uh, focused on, and then you have recommendations in each. And uh, uh, first of all, what are the four areas? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, James. Uh, I've been, as you said, teasing you about this for a while. We worked for more than a year on this project. This is a serious undertaking. We put a lot of work into it. Um, I'll show you what it what it looks like. There's there you the, go. It's actually in cover, print. There you go. How to fix flying. As you say, it is available. Anybody that wants to pull it up for free, they can do that. We encourage everyone to read it. Um, and I want to point out that this is a, a joint project. Um, I co-authored it with Ganesh Sinamaran at... Um, the at Vanderbilt University at a project called the Vanderbilt Policy Accelerator. And um, together, we've been working on this for a long time, as I said. We launched it uh, last week in Washington, 
And uh, I, I have to be honest with you, I, I think in all of the 39 years I've been in and around this industry since I first started working in the airlines in 1985, I don't think I've ever been more pumped up about something. Mm -hmm. And um, the reception was quite good. We did some briefings last year, like excuse me, last year, excuse me, last week we did some briefings, including up on the Hill. We had um, uh, a really good turnout for staff from uh, members in the House and the Senate, both Democrats and Republicans. Everybody knows there's something wrong with this industry. Everybody, it seems, but um, airline lobbyists and their friends. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we made that point that we're sort of past the whack-a-mole stage. Uh, I, I have done, since I joined American Economic Liberties Project almost two years ago, I've done as much media appearance as I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And there is this sense, I mean, we keep using this term whack-a-mole because it's like you get a call and now we're talking about Boeing and we're talking about FAA oversight and then we're talking about refunds and then we're talking about bailouts and then we're talking about canceled flights and Southwest melting down. And it's like, what what are we doing here? We're just taking these problems one at a time. We don't seem to be solving them in the big picture. And we really wanted to step back. That's why I'm so excited to be at American Economic Liberties Project, because they, they're a small organization, but they think very big. They tasked me with this when I first joined, said, step back and take a look. So as you said, the first thing we needed to do was identify different areas. And so we have broken the paper up into four distinct parts. Mm -hmm. uh, one has to do with uh, competition, geographic access, and resilience. And that is where the R word comes in. And we want to be clear, we're not shying away from the R word, regulation. Um, as you know, it was a taboo subject for much of the time that I've you know, been around the mm -hmm. airline industry. It wasn't even something that was up for discussion. Uh, it, it was just, it was understood that deregulation was the way to go and that's it. But I want to be very clear that the reason that we call this a new form of regulation is we are not suggesting that we turn the clock back to 1978 and go back to the Civil Aeronautics Board uh, model of, of that sort of comprehensive regulation. We're looking at a much more targeted and uh, uh, we think effective form of regulation. So I, mm -hmm. I can get into that, but just to, to finish up with the, uh, the different sections, we also have a section on fair and transparent pricing. Obviously, always a key issue in this industry. You know it, I know it. I'm sure most of the people listening to us right now know that this is about as complex a pricing mechanism in, in airfares than there is in the free market for just about any product you can think of. We all know the complexity. We all know how quickly they change. And we all know the range that you could have 100 people sitting on an airplane and they easily paid 40 different fares or more. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, uh, dovetailing with much of my work in the last decades, um, we have a whole section on protecting passengers, consumer uh, advocacy protections, um, and safety, mm -hmm. and um, and of course that's been you know a big part of my work over the years too, and both as a as a journalist and an author and as an advocate, and um, so we have some proposals there, including the rather bold proposal to say that uh, since every U.S. airline now outsources much of its heavy maintenance. Um, that foreign maintenance outsourcing, all these U.S. airlines that go to El Salvador and Mexico and Singapore and China and Brazil, that work needs to come back to the U.S. It's a safety issue. It's a security issue. It's a jobs issue. It's a trade issue. 
um, that experiment has failed. The FAA cannot provide the oversight overseas. And we just had a situation there with the MAX aircraft again, and whether that was the Boeing challenge, which it may be, or whether that was uh, maintenance issues, we don't know. Right. Well, and, and you know, what the Boeing is, issue did with the, with the uh, Alaska Airlines uh, flight that thankfully no one was, was seriously hurt or killed on, but what it did was highlight this, this issue in a different way. Rather than, you know, airline maintenance outsourcing, we're talking about the levels of outsourcing that the manufacturer, in this case, Boeing does, right? So they had this company, Spirit, in, uh, in, in was it Wichita, who in turn were outsourcing overseas for parts. Um, the FAA can't keep up with this. There, When I was uh, worked on my book, Attention All Passengers, I found one case where there were five degrees of separation from the airline to, to who was doing the work. The outsource repair shop would send a part out to somewhere else, and some would say, "Well, we don't do that, so we're going to send it to another party." It just it gets insane. It makes um, you feel feel real safe after that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then, just to, to finish up, yeah, the, the fourth, fourth the fourth one yeah. is uh, oversight and enforcement. Right. And and there, one key thing that we're trying to do. In fact, this is this may be the thing that uh, could be done the fastest at this point. Um, Senator Markey has uh, introduced uh, an amendment that we assisted with um, for the FAA reauthorization, which as we know, has been extended and extended, but you know, eventually it's gonna get through the Senate. It made it through the House. <clears throat> and this amendment um, basically uh, would calls for state attorneys general to be empowered to have oversight over the airline industry, which we think would have tremendous positive effects. Mm. As you know, in 1978, when the Deregulation Act was uh, was passed, really at the 11th hour, uh, very late in the game, the decision was made to uh, impose something called federal preemption. Most people don't know what federal preemption is, but it's a very simple concept. It basically means that only the federal government has any authority over the airlines and has right, right. for going on 46 years now. And so that means state legislatures, state courts, state AGs don't have authority. We're saying we need to empower state AGs. When we had the situation with the unpaid refunds during COVID, uh, Senator Markey put it at about $10 billion in unpaid refunds. Uh, all of those states were getting complaints and mm -hmm. they could have assisted. The DOT was swamped and couldn't even respond. So there's a lot here. Uh, I'll let you decide what you want to sort of focus in. Yeah, well, let's 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 go really through all four uh, sections of the report, and and you can give me your highlights of some of the recommendations you're making. Uh, you can give me a quick. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about some of the challenges, and and so what we want to look at what you're uh, what you're recommending, and also we'll talk a little bit about the prospects that some of this might be taken up by Congress. We're hoping, mm -hmm. and some of it will be. Uh, I think, as you said, uh, a, a re-regulation of the industry is not something. Thing we're going to see uh, in total. Uh, that's and, just not going right. to happen. I wish I wish it were a little more regulated, but given the you know how how far we, we've gone in terms of the regulation is kind of one of those bad words that you're not supposed to say about government and things like that. But anyway, let's look in turn. First of all, let's look at that competition. Uh, geographic access and resilience section of the report. What are uh, some of the recommendations that you're it's, it's to solve the issue? Because obviously we have a lack of service. Uh, we're having a lack of competition in 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 hubs that you you were talking about the famous fortress hubs right. uh, that the 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 majors have, have instituted, uh, which has been and then you know we're talking about resilience also in terms of when something happens. Sure. Uh, 
whether that's a weather related incident or something like that, uh, the airlines haven't been very admittedly haven't been very good at picking up the pieces at the end. But talk a little bit about what you're recommending in that section. Right. And you're right. As far as, you know, the use of the R words, we want to be really clear about what we're trying to do here. When we were in Washington last week and we had a kickoff at the National Press Club, and as I said, we did briefings and on the Hill, et cetera, we were saying that what we want to do is launch a national conversation about this industry. It is a vital industry. The airline industry is critical, not just to all of us having the freedom to travel and commerce, but it's it's vital to our economy. It's vital to our security. We all agree on that. That's one thing that airline executives and, and we agree on. Um, but it is also a broken industry. Mm. And I want to make some, one thing very clear. When we say that deregulation has failed, I know that sounds like a very subjective statement. And it sounds like, you know, the other side would say, well, we'll argue with you on that. The fact is, I would urge everyone, very simple, go to Google and put in Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. You don't have to read the whole thing. It runs three or 400 pages. Read the preamble, which is one very long sentence, okay? And it states what the goals were in 1978. Right. I would challenge anyone to tell me that the promises that were made have not been broken. It basically says there will be more competition. No, we have less competition. More air carriers. We have fewer air carriers now than we did in 1978. Um, we will not have uh, you know, consolidation. Well, we have the most consolidated industry that we have ever had. And we would not have uh, you know, an oligopoly, basically. And that is what we have. As you know, the big four, American, Delta, United, and Southwest, control 80% of the market. That's a level we've never had before. We have right. 12 scheduled passenger airlines in the U.S., including the two new ones, Avello and uh, and Breeze. That's the fewest airlines we've ever had. And we just had a 14-year stretch from 2007 to 2021 without a single new entrant. Those are all broken promises. And I would defy anyone to say that that's a subjective statement. All you have to do is, as I say, read the act itself. Right. So what we're saying is competition is key to all of this. And a big part of it is the airports. And as you know, there's a slot uh, constraint program for takeoff and landing slots. It's very limited. There are only seven airports in the program and only three that are really, uh, four of them are just monitored, but um, three that are really, um, you know, in a day in and day out controlled, uh, controlled. And what we're saying is we need to look at airports because, um, you know, what we did was we reached out not to Airlines for America, the trade organization for the big airlines, but to National Air Carrier Association, which represents the smaller ones, Spirit and Frontier and them. They know about this because they have trouble getting into airports, getting access. We're saying if we really truly want to fulfill what was said in 1978, then we need to provide access, we need to provide competition. We're also saying that this problem of what we're terming regional inequality has, has just gotten worse and worse over the last 40 years. There are sections of this country, they don't have hubs, they don't have uh, ultra low cost carriers, they pay the highest fares, you travel all day to get anywhere, and then you have large cities, St. Louis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, that have had hubs in the past and they close and right. think, you know, go corporations go away and the entire city economy or regional economy is affected. So we're saying a couple of things. We need to ban common ownership, which is basically a practice whereby the large institutional investors like Warren Buffett, they don't have money in American or Delta or United or Southwest. They have money in all four. And we're saying restrict that because that keeps out the new entrants. Right. That would go a long way to, to, we're also trying to get legislation on this, it would go a long way to, to helping this. 
And then, you know, Ganesh has come up with some interesting um, uh, suggestions. One is called the, the draft pick suggestion to say, we know that the big guys don't want to serve uh, smaller markets. They don't see the money there. We're saying they should be compelled to, and in a draft pick way. In other words, the big guys would say, okay, who's taking Dubuque? And right. who's taking, you know, Butte, Montana, et cetera, until all areas are served. And that is one thing, you know, the, the regulated era from 1938 to 78, it gets a bad rap. And I will, I will freely admit that I might have contributed to it over the years because I hadn't done my homework. I spent a lot of time last year in the, the law library at Yale, at Yale Law School uh, researching what was said at the time in the, in the congressional transcripts, et cetera. And what we found is that pricing made sense for the most part because it was based mm -hmm. on cost. Imagine that, airline fares that were based on cost. Can you oh, imagine yeah, that concept? It blows your mind, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right? And the other thing was areas were served. You would not have had in the regulated era cities as large as St. Louis or Cincinnati not having enough service, you know. So we're saying that this needs to be looked at holistically, like the post office, like, you know, like like most metro rail and subway systems. You don't price based on which two, you know, which which uh, stops or which time of day work best. You price for the entire system. Sure. And that's what we're saying. This is a big change, of course. We understand the airlines will be uh, pushing back, but we're saying it's time to, to this is, these are big problems and they require big solutions. Are we saying we're the ones with all the answers? No, but we're saying, let's start the conversation. There really was a national conversation in the mid seventies. I saw it, it was documented. I, I went back and I found in the record, you know, cover stories in Newsweek and Time and hour long documentaries on TV about the state of the airlines. There was a real discussion. Everybody who wanted to weigh in got a chance to weigh in or to testify. And we're saying that's what we need now instead of the whack-a-mole. We have hearings on very specific issues. Right. You know, I testified when Dr. Dow was dragged off a United Airlines flight a couple of years and beaten up. I was happy to do it. And I'm not saying it wasn't necessary. But we need to step back and say all of these are symptoms. The, the industry is broken. Let's talk. Let's that, that, let's go to the second one: the fair and transparent pricing. And of course, you know, since deregulation, there's been a lot in that area. And just in the last ten years, uh, the airlines introduced what they called ancillary fees, which essentially seem to be making them profitable at this point. Uh, you know, they, they they so they put in a lot of different pricing models. Uh, you have to pay a lot of extra things. I personally dislike it intensely. And I don't know anyone that really wants that kind of pricing mechanism, but they claim that's what the customer wants. I don't know what customers are talking to. It's not <laughs> me and it's not anybody I know, but let's talk about overall this fair and transparent pricing uh, uh, section of the report and what you're recommending. Yes, I'm still waiting to meet that person. The airlines swear that people tell them there is a, I, we're, I we're, we're, there, there's a customer out there who right. they want this, and I'm like, please more checked baggage fees, please, please. <laughs> That's what we're asking for. I okay, I want to. I still want to meet that person. I, I, it's a unicorn. And I want. I, I want to know. I want to know the person who doesn't really who uh, wants to pay for a seat. Even though they've paid a fare for that seat, they want Thank you. extra thing. Thank you. I don't Thank know who you. that is, but it's not Thank me. You. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, I'm I'm an FAA licensed dispatcher. I've forgotten more than I remember about that. But back when I worked in the airline industry, um, I was responsible for you know dispatching flights and weight and balance. And I can assure you 
There is no difference on the fuel burn of an aircraft if a person is sitting sitting in A, B, or C in row 14, okay? Right. But the airlines will charge you more to sit at the window than in the middle seat, right? So um, again, like, you know, show us who it is that wants to do that. We're saying, look, this has just gotten nonsensical. We have seen it just grow and grow and grow over 40 years. No one can make sense of it. Um, look, you've been a part of it. I've been a part of it in terms of helping consumers over the years. We've both written how many countless stories about here's how to get the best fares and Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. And all of that stuff There's entire cottages of people that just help you get fares. And I don't degrade their work. I mean, it's, it's a necessary service because who among us wants to pay more? Sure. But it's just that what other industry has that, right? I mean, are there people that make a living telling you how to get, you know, how to pay less for a quart of milk or, or you know, a new <laughs> car or a flat screen TV? I mean, I worked at Consumer Reports for 22 years. I mean, they would, you know, they would just shake their heads when I would say, look, there is no such thing as a good fare. You know, they would say, what's a good price for a car? And they'd say, OK, <laughs> this is it. Well, you know, you can't do that with airlines, right? We're saying, look, let's go back to a more fair and sensible pricing system to have just a few fare classes and there will be room for the low cost carriers for the spirits and whatnot. But two things that are important here. One is if we're not going to get that, there has to be more transparency on fares and on fees. We all know this is a problem. And for many of you in your audience, for travel advisors, it is critical, right? And they right. are the they are the ones that are caught in the middle and they get beat up on both sides, right? The airlines you know, do not provide them with all the data on flights and fares and fees. And then on the other end, the customer, you know, is uh, is upset, right? So there's that. But um, the other factor uh, with pricing is it's it's also it needs to be based on bare minimums. And what we mean by that is the industry needs to have the we're, we're sort of edging into the safety section. I don't mean to bleed into another section, but okay. we're saying they need to be minimum standards, for example, on seat sizes. That's a health issue. That's a value issue. But most of all, it's a safety issue during an emergency evacuation. So whatever the FAA and Congress determine, OK, this is a minimum seat size. Spirit or Frontier or anyone else cannot go below that. Right. Um, we're also saying the same thing for maintenance, outsourcing, et cetera. So there is going to be a, 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 a basement, which there is not now. It's just we're in a mad race to the bottom. And whoever can cut the most costs, whether it's on safety issues like pilot training and maintenance of aircraft and outsourcing, or, you know, how, how tight can we make the seats? So we're saying that. We're also talking about the loyalty programs and saying, look, if they're not going to be abolished, then again, there needs to be some common sense. The rules just keep changing, right? The goalposts move after you enter the game. So you enter, and in good faith, you're accruing mileage. And then suddenly it's time to redeem and you're told, no, it's twice as much to, you right, know, to get right. that, that upgrade or that trip. Okay. That's completely unfair. And, you know, if you enter the program in good faith and you show, and they call them loyalty programs, right? You show loyalty to that airline. And for years you rack up your miles because you're looking to take that trip. And then now you, we're saying, no, no, retroactively, you can't change the rules for when someone entered. So there's a lot here and we're just sort of skimming it, but, you know, I encourage people to read and take a deep dive. Well, that's the interesting part of this is that, you know, when American Airlines instituted its first loyalty program and it was, I guess, sort of a roaring success and everybody else followed and now every carrier has them and it's difficult to redeem those miles, quite frankly. Right. And then, of course, yeah. I mean, there's whole publications that have been formed looking at points 
Of course, no. yeah. I mean, I mean you and I have spoken guy, to you know? I mean, experts. It, yeah, sure, Randy. That that yeah, that I mean, you're helping you learn sure. how to use your points, and uh, you know, honestly, I I'm not an aficionado because I fly so many different airlines uh, all over the world. They you can't always get to some place on one carrier, right? And so you got to right. fly the different ones, right? And then, of course, you know, when you're lining up at the airport and they have a million different people going in front of you. Uh, because they belong to some status group. And, I, and I'm like, do I actually belong to that status group? Maybe or a code share partner, right? It's not even the airline that's, that you know, that it has the metal, as we used to say, right? It's not even right. the airline that's operating the flight, you know? And that's why when you look at the, the flight information screen, it's wrote, you know, the same flight has five different airlines registered, right? It's also Lufthansa and it's also, you know. Um, so all of that affects this. But, you know, we're back to transparency again. We're saying that there needs to be more, more transparency about these uh, loyalty programs as well. Uh, well that's, that's absolutely true. Loyalty programs and the pricing as well. And yeah. I, I think for travel advisors, another thing that we have is, that they have is that here they are selling a ticket and maybe they are getting some commission on that. Uh, they do not get commission, except in maybe certain special cases we're unaware of, on the ancillary fees. Right. Um, so, right. you know, they're trying to sell a service and and the airlines are saying, well, that's what the customer wants, but they're not getting any extra compensation for selling all those other things. So well, I, I don't know anybody that wants uh, these ancillary fee fees either. And, and there has to be some kind of, you know, I wouldn't say regulation, but uh, somebody's going to come out with a better idea. And, you know, they can't just tell us, well, that's what you want. Well, no, that's not what I want. Right. Well, you say ancillary fees. I say junk fees, tomato, tomato. But we're talking about the same thing. And I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to be polite to the airline. I understand. But President <laughs> Biden used the term junk fees. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Um, he was referring, of course, to an issue that we've been very vocal about over the years, which is the family seating fees, which right, is right, egregious yeah. of all fees that a four-year-old child should have to sit by themselves because they didn't pay extra to sit next to their... their well, maybe the parent doesn't want them there. No. Well, that's a whole nother story. And we'll do that on a different discussion, but let's stay with the junk fees for now. Okay. Um, so yes, I mean, look, there's just transparency is is a problem in so much of the the industry, and so many of the problems we're talking about have to do with whether it's pricing, whether it's fees. Where you know, again, I mean, you're you're, you're talking about travel advisors being in the middle, and they're not getting the the information to help their own customers, right? Um, but we also have you know a whole section. On uh, on safety and on protecting passengers, it, you know we're going to have to really just skim. But I but mentioned, yeah, let's let, let's we'll move on to that. Although I did want to yeah. make one more uh, yeah. as one question about it. Part of this pricing and uh, uh, transparent pricing and fares is that concept of yield management that we hear so much about, and the airlines. It's almost like this kind of godlike. Uh, policy that is why we all have different fares is because they are trying to fill every seat on the plane. And, and at least from the flights that I've been on lately, they succeed. Uh, right. Every single flight these days is almost is literally full. Right. So, I mean, how do we get around that? Because th these are allegedly the, uh, you know, some kind of uh, uh, uh system that they have put in uh, that that's going to price everything differently so they can fill every seat. Sure. And so let's look at that. I mean, what we are saying, I know what the other side is going to say. They're going to howl saying, oh, we're raising prices because that's what they say about everything. Anything you want to do. If you say, well, we shouldn't send airplanes to El Salvador where, they're, where the FAA can't look at the, at the work being done. They say, well, that's going to cost more money. Well, some things maybe need to cost more money. We're willing to have that conversation if it's about life and death safety issues. 
But in this case, what we're saying is a more sensible nationwide pricing system, you know, just as we put a stamp on an envelope and that letter can go across town or it can go to Anchorage, Alaska, right? Now, this is, I would say, uh, let's be blunt about this. I think one of the, 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 the issues we have to overcome is that many of the people that either set policy or discuss policy or write about policy in the airlines, they tend to be congregated in big places like New York and Washington, maybe right. Los Angeles, Chicago. But we're talking big cities for the most part. And so therefore, they have more choices. Not as many as we used to back when there were a lot more carriers and, you know, in the regulated era and the post-deregulated era in the first decade or two. Um, but they have more choices than much of the country. And one of the things we're saying about pricing is the the range of what the, you know, remember when we talk about pricing, we were talking about average fare. Well, that term average fare, the range has never been greater. Right. It was much more sensible in the regulated era where you knew, okay, this is the cost and it was based on actual, you know, what the airlines needed to fly that route, et cetera. Now, what we have is for every spirit or frontier or allegiant fare where you're paying, you know, 150 bucks to go to, a, to uh, Florida or something, on the other end, someone is being gouged. And, and there are parts of the country where you're regularly playing three or four times what the average is, right? right? And that's what we're talking about addressing, making this truly a national issue. Much of America has been forgotten in all of this, except for in the big hubs and the two coasts. Yeah. And we're saying to make this more sensible. So we're trying to level that. And so while you, know, you may not see a $100 fare because that's not feasible, when you're addressing the issues with seats and safety and pilot training and the rest of it. On the other hand, those that are paying four times more will start paying more for what is actually an average. We're really trying, we're not, you know, we're not fooling around here. We're really saying we're trying to fix a national industry. And quite frankly, I think there are times where people forget it's a national industry. Right, you know, right. I was talking about fares. And by the way, with the fares, don't take our word for it. As you know, every quarter, the DOT puts out a quarterly airfare report and look at it. I urge everyone to pull it up. It's a public document. It's very geeky. It's full of charts and small print. But, you know, I look at it every every three months and you'll see that in this country, there are two industries. There's the industry where there's low fare carriers and then people are paying less. And then if it's just American, Delta and United and sometimes Southwest, they're sort of sometimes low fare and sometimes not. They're weird out, you know, sort of uh, uh, mix there. If it's just American Delta and United, then you are paying three times more what everybody else is paying. And right. that's, you know, that's the oligopoly part of this. And we're saying to break that up. We're saying reduce the size of the hubs. We're saying, you know, downsize the hubs, reduce the these, these, you know, you use the term. That's the term that the industry uses, fortress hubs. You know, think about that a moment. A fortress. That's exactly what it is, an economic fortress. And guess what? You're paying more. So Absolutely. we're saying to look at that as well. Um, well, let's I, move on. Yeah, let's yeah. move on to uh, the the passenger safety. You did talk about that earlier about the outsourcing of maintenance, which is I still think is incredible that everything there's almost no maintenance done at airports anymore. Uh, it also probably means that why you can't get a replacement aircraft right away uh, if if a aircraft is bad because they don't have any, not anything because they they're not doing the maintenance there. Well, you know, so there are two types of maintenance. The the heavy maintenance, as they say, where you send stuff out for scheduled work or or for big things like engine changes, and then the line maintenance. And the heavy work is all outsourced, as you said. But also, I mean, you bring up another point. When I worked 
um, in the shuttle on the on the East Coast, New York, Boston, and Washington, and I was an operations manager. We, I actually had spare aircraft and spare crews to play with. Can you imagine? I mean, that is just. <laughs> I speak to my friends that are still in the industry, and um, they laugh when I say that. I said, "You have spare aircraft still?" What are you kidding me? They're lucky to get the schedule out the door with you know with what they have now. As we know, in 2022, there is strong evidence, and we're still trying to find out all the details that airlines were scheduling flights, not knowing that they they did not have either the aircraft or the crews, and they were taking money for them. So that is a deceptive practice. Some would call it fraud. So um, there are so many things that need to be addressed here. But on the safety side, in addition to the maintenance outsourcing, uh, as you know, we have a crisis with air traffic control. We have a shortage. We have, you know, we've been talking, how long have we been talking about the next gen, next generation program? Uh, At least a decade, maybe more. more. Yeah, it's been more like two decades. we have the 1500 hour rule where where you know some in congress and some in the industry want to uh, undo what was done after the colgan air accident uh continental express up in buffalo in 2009 i know that very well i and, lost a friend there so it's yes uh, i remember yes yeah. yeah and you know and then as you say the seat sizes yeah they're a comfort issue that's how most people think of it or even a health issue for clotting and deep vein thrombosis most of all they're a safety issue and, and and seat sizes go hand in hand with evacuation uh, testing to make sure that aircraft can be evacuated. It got lost in the in the media coverage of what happened over Portland with uh, Alaska Airlines. But this has been quite a year so far. January 2nd, you'll recall what happened in Tokyo with Japan Airlines. And that was a really large aircraft where that, you know, uh, that aircraft was in, in after a collision with a Japanese Coast Guard aircraft. Um, that aircraft was in flames. Everyone got off. That was the good news. Wow. The bad news is um, it took so, uh, the media reports I saw said it took somewhere between 14 and 18 minutes. Um, that's not acceptable. You know, we have to we have to continue to work on this. And, well, well, it's because the configuration of aircraft have not changed in many, many years in terms of seating. And I mean, you, if you've ever tried to get out of an aircraft and you're in the back, it's going to take you 15, 20 minutes. And well, yet you, when you when a safety situation occurs, you're going out the the you know, the, the exit, the in the exit well, rows and places like that. But it's not easy to get out of these things. No. And so we're saying we need the FAA needs to do more here. And we need to ensure that it's not just uh, computer modeling doing this, that there's more testing. So there's a lot. And then, of course, an issue that you and I have talked about in the past, the fact that for decades now, going back to the 80s, um, the FAA has not um, restricted lap children and allows uh, children to not be restrained. Every safety expert in the world says that there should be. Um, As far as passenger protections, we have a whole suite of issues in there. Many of them we've talked about before. on uh, sort of, we've seen other countries like the EU and Canada, for example, put forth passenger protections that make sense, that are standardized, that are uniform, and most of all are mandatory. And not just for the airlines in their regions, but for everyone flying within it, right? So the way I put it is, here's the irony. If you're flying, say, American, Delta, United, big three carriers that fly all over the world on behalf of the US and fly the American flag on the tail, the irony is if you're a U.S. citizen flying on one of those airlines in Brussels or Paris, you actually have more protections than you did if you were in Dallas or Atlanta or Chicago, right, on a U.S. airline, because it's mandated in other places. We're saying it's it's overdue for that. And to their credit, the DOT and Secretary Buttigieg have introduced a whole suite of 
proposals to strengthen that. So, of course, we're supporting that and some other efforts. But there's a lot here, as I said. I encourage everyone to read the paper. Read the report. And then the final section, of course, <laughs> is the section on oversight and enforcement. Talk a little bit about where what you're recommending uh, in that place. I know sure. in part it, it's it's giving the state attorney generals also some oversight as well, if I recall. Uh, but right. it's beyond that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the federal preemption issue that we talked about, there is legislation pending as we as as we speak and we're, we're crossing our fingers on it that um, state AGs uh, will be will be uh, empowered uh, so that as American citizens, we have fewer rights, as I said, um, dealing with airlines than you do with virtually any other company. You can't just file a class action lawsuit in state court since because of that federal preemption clause. Um, and people are shocked to learn this. People that have been flying for 40 years don't know they, they don't know this. I, I encounter it all the time. Uh, I uh, I was at a, a travel show in New York with Peter Greenberg a few weeks ago, and I asked the audience, there are about 200 people there, and I asked the audience, can I see a show of hands? How many people know what federal preemption is? Not one. Okay. I'm not, I wasn't surprised. It wasn't, a, you know, I, I mean, I expected, but I thought maybe two or three, but no, right. none. No. So we are saying it's time for that. And And here's the interesting part. Uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, uh, it was something like 37 or 39 state AGs, Democrats and Republicans, I want to stress this, this is bipartisan, they wrote to Congress saying, please give us the power to address this. Why? Because their offices are swamped, guess what, with complaints from airline passengers. Absolutely. So they can't do a thing. And they have to write a form letter saying, sorry, speak to the DOT, we can't do it. And then you speak to the DOT, and they are swamped as well. They're, they're, you know, we have spoken to Secretary Buttigieg about this in the past, saying this is not, you know, uh, something that is designed to take power away from the DOT. It's to enhance it that allows state AGs to assist. Um, we're also saying, speaking of the DOT, we're suggesting that um, in the final days of the Trump administration, they passed uh, constraints on the DOT's power itself. Under mm. something called the unfair and deceptive practices rule. So you and, can't, the AGs won't work and the DOT really is, is kind of constrained. And this was a self-inflicted wound. This was right. like shooting right. yourself in the foot, right? And so we have urged Secretary Buttigieg to undo what the Trump administration did. And, you know, we're hopeful that that will happen. There's a lot here. As I said, our goal is to start a national conversation about these issues. There was a conversation in the 70s. Think about it. This vital industry, it's been half a century since we've really talked about it in a big way. Mm -hmm. We're saying, okay, if you have better ideas than we do, let's have them. We're not territorial about this. We want to start the thing. And, you know, Ganesh, my co-author, he raised a great point last week when we were in Washington. He said, you know, in every other space, think about areas where there are problems, other industries, healthcare, for example, you know, financial firm. There is no shortage of pundits and white papers and, and, and you know, and people out there saying, okay, here's our proposal. There, there's dozens and hundreds in some cases. And yet look at this. Isn't it interesting? This vital industry, everybody interacts with it. Everybody knows it's their problems and it's broken. And yet where are the, where are the practical suggestions other than the airline saying everything's fine, nothing to see here, just, you know, laissez faire. So we've entered this space and we think in a big way to start this dialogue, start the conversation. But as I said, we're not territorial. We welcome everyone. We want to talk to travel advisors. We want to talk to airline labor. We want to, and we have shared this with them. And I was happy to see that we were already getting responses from, from people in these areas. We want to talk to airports. We want to talk to the small airlines and the big airlines. We want to talk to everyone in this ecosystem. And say, you know, of course, the FAA, the DOT, Congress. And we want to say, look, this is, these are big problems, national problems. And 
you know, some of the recommendations can be addressed by DOT, some by FAA, many by Congress. Mm -hmm. But let's start it. Let's start the conversation. You know, when something happens, like what happened over Portland with Alaska Airlines, suddenly there's a laser focus on the airline industry. Yeah. And then we're back to, well, what happened? What's wrong? How did this happen? Until, until the next one, right? Yeah. Right. And you know, as well as I do, that it fades, you know, because, you know, next we're talking about the Super Bowl or Taylor Swift or what have you. And then, but then suddenly something else happens and it's like, here we are again, right? Back in, you know, back to the, the whack-a-mole syndrome. We're saying enough. It's time to, you know, have a national discussion. Well, absolutely. And your your report, to my knowledge, is the first comprehensive look at, at you know, with definitive recommendations on what we can do to fix uh, the airline industry that everybody that I know complains about. I mean, right. the airlines will say, well, we get you most of, you know, 90 percent, we get you there, you're you're safe. Uh, you know, the safety record is is pretty good uh, overall, uh, except for a few things like what we've had in the past uh, month or so. But yours is the really the first report. And I guess the, my final question really has to do with that is you've published the report. What's the next step in terms of what are you guys, what are you as the American e Economic Liberties Project going to be doing to make sure that Congress, to make sure that uh, regulatory authorities, to make sure that the airlines and, and the unions and everyone else pays attention and maybe starts to get the dialogue going that at least we can look at some of these issues and get some of these things fixed? Right. Well, you, you nailed it. I mean, this is it's a new year and 2024, we hope to be a year where this is what we are talking about that we are out there. <clears throat> I want to thank you because, you know, you and others are helping us have a real discussion, not a sound bite for 10 seconds, but, you know, a real discussion where we just took a deep dive on this. Um, you know, we're looking to write, write op-eds. We're looking to, to make appearances. We're looking to have, you know, to have panel discussions. We want, and we're sincere in reaching out to the rest of the industry. I personally sent this to members uh, in the travel advisory community and in, in airline labor. We want to start working together because we all face the same the same industry. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what what can my readers, uh, travel advisors uh, and viewers, we go out to about one hundred twenty six thousand of them. What what can they do uh, for their part uh, to at least first of all, obviously, we to go and read the report uh, because it, it it's it's long, but not that long. Certainly not as long as the original deregulation act. That's for no, sure. No, it's not three. Uh, although you've just clued us in that we can get the whole thing in the in, a, in the first paragraph for the first sentence. So, uh, but anyway, what would you suggest that they do? Yes, I would start with reading the paper. It's not that long. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot in it, but you know, it's uh, 30 pages or so. Um, because source material is always the best. You know, uh, you'd be shocked how many times in this country we have arguments about things and people haven't read the source material, right? It's like I said, like, you know, we're talking about the Only Deregulation Act. Okay, you don't have to read 300 pages. Read the opening paragraph and you know that it has failed. It has not worked. We don't right. have what was promised, right? That's, that's fact. I don't see how anybody can argue that. Um, so what we're saying here is, yes, travel advisors have a stake in all of this. You know, in going back and looking at the research, in the regulated era from 38 to 78, in those 40 years, I looked up how many mergers and acquisitions there were. There were a total of 11 in the airline industry. Mm -hmm. Since 1979, since deregulation, in, in those 45 years, there have been 45. We're averaging right. one a year, okay? Bankruptcies, according to Airlines for America, the largest lobbying group, Pre nineteen seventy eight, they were extremely rare. There were they, they just it wasn't really a thing because it was kind of hard to lose money in those years. Some managed to do it, but um, because your 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 
profits were guaranteed under the regulatory system. Right. Since 1979, well, 212 by last count. Okay. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and I have covered quite a few of them in our days working together. Uh, you know, at trade magazines writing about them, but 212 in the last 45 years. Okay. This is an unstable industry. That is that is something that every travel advisor in the country knows. And that, you know, when you're dealing with this instability, with worrying about bankruptcies, worrying about mergers and acquisitions, it affects their work as well. And, you know, we've talked so much about transparency. They're always caught in the middle, travel advisors. You know, they're the, they're the ticket sellers. Um, the DOT has rules in place enforcing, you know, that, that they provide certain information to consumers. And yet they're not given that information in many cases on the back end from the airlines. Right. And, you know, they're, they're, they're cut off from that. So everything that we're saying, uh, in my view, is only going to help travel advisors. Uh, you know, the transparency of all of this stuff. There's so much in this industry that is opaque. The fares, the fees, the flight data in some cases. Um, you know, the, the frequent flyer programs are a big mystery with a big question mark over them. Right, right. So we think all of this is going to help travel advisors. We want to work with them lockstep, just as we want to work with airline labor as well. Well, and I mentioned that we, we're going to have a, 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 a way to get to, to find this report, but just tell me exactly where can they get this report now? Sure, sure, absolutely. It is available online. It can be downloaded. And uh, it is. A, I, I think you'll provide the link, but for those that are, are listening to this, um, economicliberties.us, that's our website. If you go there, you will see that it is available for download. Fantastic. Well, Bill, always great to catch up with you. And congratulations, first of all, on this report. I know it's something, you know, you're, you've been intimately involved with the airlines for, uh, as I have, but you you even worked for them back over 30 years ago. I think you've mm -hmm. almost 40 years. 39 so, years, yeah. yeah. That That is amazing. And so you know where you're, what, what you're talking about, that's for sure. And now you've created uh, uh, this written, uh, this incredible report that really is, uh, I think the basis that might just make us solve some of these issues. I hope I hope it's true. Uh, I mean, obviously, we know there's a strong airline lobby. Um, I mean, if they were smart, I would get the airline lobby looking at it and saying, OK, yeah, we can probably do this stuff, at least some of it. Right. No, I agree. That's exactly what we're hoping for is to start that dialogue. You know, for the other side to say everything's fine here, there's nothing to see. You know, the, the, the argument is going to pass them by then. Basically, the discussion is happening either way. You know, do you want to get on board? Do you want to have input? You know, uh, I think back, James, to when you'll remember uh, under uh, Secretary LaHood, under the Obama administration, when we got the tarmac delay rules. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a dear friend of mine who just passed recently, Kevin Mitchell from the Business Travel Coalition. Uh, I worked with him and others. Uh, Kevin really put it together. A... a, a, a a town hall meeting in Washington, basically. The Senator Boxer was there, and Robert Crandall, retired from American, was there. And he had a discussion so we could talk about the tarmac delay rules. And I was very eager to jump in, particularly since I used to work in flight operations and I had firsthand experience with it. And guess what? Invitations were sent to every airline in the United States and Airlines for America. And, you know, it's one of those debates where there's an empty chair. Yeah. And not only didn't come, they didn't respond. So that was a turning point for me. That was a huge turning point because up until then I had good faith and maybe I was a little naive. Okay, we may not be in agreement on things, but we'll get to the table and we'll sit down and you know let's try and work things out. When the airline industry basically you know thumbed its nose, or you can use another analogy, telling us, well, we're not going to take part in this discussion. 
Then I said, well, then you know what? Then anything that happens, you don't get to say, well, you're upset about a new rule, right? As right. they did, because you won't even take part in the discussion. And it's the same thing here. We're offering, you know, uh, an opportunity to have a discussion. The discussion is going to happen. It's going to happen because I think the zeitgeist has changed. And and I would say to you, I don't mind saying this. Ten years ago, I don't know that we could have launched an effort like this. The mm -hmm. time wasn't right. Now it is. Because now people are coming to us and saying, what are you doing? What's the big picture? So here's our response. This is the this is our response to that. And so the conversation has already been kicked off. Are you going to join us? Are you going to offer practical solutions? Or are you just going to say, everything's fine. You know, deregulation has been a, a, a raving success and nothing else needs to be done. Well, then you're not going to be a part of the solutions if that if that's the position. So we urge everyone that's, you know, part of it, including passengers, join in. And hopefully I'll be back on to talk to you soon and we'll have, you know, more updates. Well, we look forward to that time. Bill McGee, author, or co-author of the new report from the American Economic Liberties Project, How to Fix Flying, a new approach to regulating the airline industry. You can find the link uh, to read that report here. Uh, Bill, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. It's uh, critical issues, and you and I have been covering the airlines for quite some time. Uh, you are really intensively been covering it. Uh, uh, and thank you. I do hope this results in a national discussion that can uh, help solve some of these issues, cr critical issues to what is a national industry. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I do want to thank my colleagues, Economic Liberties, because it was like all hands on deck, you know, getting this done. And of course, at Vanderbilt, Ganesh and his team, who have just been great. So we're looking at, you know, getting out there and talking more about this. Again, thanks, Bill. I'm James Schellinglaw, and this is Insider Travel Report.